Hello and welcome to the Addicted Austinite, your one-stop podcast for all things Jane Austen. This week's episode is still Pride and Prejudice themed as we have a review of the 2005 film version. So we will get the necessary information out of the way first. Uh, The film was directed by Joe Wright and the screenplay was written by Deborah Mogach. I hope that I'm pronouncing it right. Um, Mogach, Mogash, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I'm sorry, Deborah, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> and the film was released in late 2005 in, uh, in the UK, in the US and in France as well. It has a star-studded cast. Um, there's a lot of very big names in here. Uh, including Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Donald Sutherland, Brenda Blethyn, Rosamund Pike, Jenna Malone, Tallulah Riley, Carrie Mulligan, and Judy Dench. Ooh, I told you it was packed. <laughs> uh, the music, the soundtrack, is by Dario Marianelli. The production companies were Studio Canal and Working Title Films, and it made million (laughs) at the box office. It was a generally well-liked film. Uh, It scored 86% on Rotten Tomatoes and generally I have to agree with that. Sadly it's by no means a great film but it's also not a bad film either. To be honest the odds were stacked against this film from the start. It was always going to be a hard job for this film, coming as it did after the beloved 1995 TV series. Um, we'll be talking about that next week, uh, mostly because I haven't finished re-watching it yet <laughs> and need to finish that before I can do the review. Um, that 1995 TV series is, for a lot of people, the pinnacle of Jane Austen adaptations, so it's always going to be hard uh, for a new film to come in there. And, and slot in, especially when they've got less time than the TV series had as well. And there was also a lot of pressure on this film to be a good film, because the last film attempt of Pride and Prejudice was Laurence Olivier's 1940 version, uh, which was unique, to put it nicely. <laughs> so there was a lot riding on this film, really, and all in all... I think it did okay. In terms of condensing a book into a film, it's alright. It hits most of the major plot points from the novel, um, but there isn't anything major, sort of at least to me anyway, that gets left out. Um, I'd argue that none of the discarded details were, were vital to the story. I don't think it changes the plot to leave out what they did. It's mostly side characters that are omitted, uh, with the likes of Mr and Mrs Hurst, uh, Bingley's sister and her husband, and the Bennett's aunt and uncle in Meryton uh, that have been excluded. Um, These characters, they do add to the story as a whole in in the novel, um, but they aren't necessary characters per se. they're there to just give a little bit of background and a bit of fun. But losing them isn't terrible. <laughs> um, for example, um, 
Mrs. Hurst, Bingley's sister, she was there to add to the Bennet, uh, the Bingley family's disdain for the Bennets. Um, and as we see in the film, it's just as easily and just as well carried off by Caroline Bingley on her own. Um, the aunt and uncle in Meryton, um, they, they were there to be the people that the Bennets visit so that they can then meet the militia who have stopped in Meryton as well. They needed a reason to go to Meryton and it was to visit their family. Um, but as we see in the film, the Bennets were always going to find a way or find a reason to go to Meryton. So excluding that aunt and uncle doesn't change the plot. They were always going to meet Mr Wickham. They were always going to go into Meryton. The sort of big plot point that's changed and left out of the story in this case uh, happens in the latter half of the film. Uh, in the book, when Lizzie goes with her aunt and uncle up to the Lake District and ends up at Pemberley, uh, Mr Darcy is there with Georgiana, as in the film, uh, but Caroline Bingley is also there as well. There's sort of a group of them and they're all hanging out in Pemberley. Um, in the film, it is just Darcy and Georgiana. In the book, um, we get a little bit of satisfaction because we get to see Caroline Bingley just, you know, oh, she suffers. Bless her. No, don't bless her at all, actually. <laughs> she deserves it. Um, she gets to see that Darcy and, and, and Lizzie are getting a bit closer and that all of her plans to usurp Lizzie and Darcy's affections have completely failed uh, and to make matters even worse Georgiana absolutely adores Lizzie as well. So really in terms of condensing and omitting um, there weren't any major sins in this movie at least not for me. Um, if you have a different feeling about it I'd love to hear. Obviously different parts of the story will be more important to different people so I'd love to hear what you think um, and, and what is important to you uh, in that plot that they might have missed out on. So they did a pretty good job um, but that isn't to say that the film is perfect. No film ever is. Um, so I'm going to get all of my whining out of the way and then we'll talk about some of the good things in the film. Um, the main problem for me uh, which was noted at the time by critics uh, when it came out as well. Um, it isn't necessarily a problem with the film on its own. It's part of a wider problem with uh, interpreting and reading Jane Austen today. Um, I've talked about it before on this podcast. Um, and it's this idea of reading Jane's works as straight-up romances. There is romance in her stories... Uh, I'm not saying there isn't, uh, but that they that romance isn't the reason for the story's existence. Um, the romance is enjoyable, but she's not Georgette Heyer. Jane's writing is wit and sarcasm, a scathing satirical review of her society. The romance is almost incidental. Um, and... All of this does seem to be lost in this version of Pride and Prejudice. It is a romance, pure and simple. There are funny moments, um, but the biting satire is left behind 
basically, which is a shame because it does perpetuate this idea that Jane was just an airheaded woman who focused on literarily, I think that's a word, maybe, um, <laughs> using her writing to fulfil her own failed romances. Thank you, Victorian society. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving enough credit to the producers and the screenwriters. Maybe I'm underestimating how difficult it is to transfer that kind of satire to the screen and, and what viewers actually want to see. Um, but we have had examples where Jane's intelligence and satire has has worked. Um, the film Love and Friendship is is a perfect example the first one that comes to mind it's a wonderful exercise in adapting that wit and sarcasm to the screen and it is thoroughly enjoyable because of it so we are starting to understand and starting to um, reinstate this satire and wit that Jane had in her novels but that's only going to work if we stop making films that undermine that by just saying there is a period romance Okay, so that's enough complaining. Uh, let's have a look at some of the, the good parts of the film. Um, so, for me, the best part of this film is actually the soundtrack. I adore it. Um, each piece uh, by Dario Marianelli, it perfectly fits the moment that it's set to. Um, and it, it's just fantastic. I, I find myself listening to that soundtrack all the time I just I love it I can't it's just so wonderful I, I can't express how much I love this soundtrack and it's one of those ones that I'll recognize instantly if I hear it um, and it will always make me think of the film um, and make me think of Pride and Prejudice and it's just it's just a great soundtrack <laughs> another thing that I like in this film is the costumes and makeup um, Overall, the colour of the film, in its entirety, it's rather subdued and, and very calm, uh, and the costumes follow suit, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> um, but the costumers, they aren't afraid to use a bit of colour um, and, and show the range of outfits that would have been available to, to Georgian people. We do have a, a habit of discolouring the past making it look a lot darker and a lot duller than it actually was. Um, and because of their colour and their, their brightness, the costumes actually play quite a big role in the film. Um, they're often used to explain a character when there just isn't time for that kind of exposition in the story. Um, if you have a look at the Bennett sisters when they're all together, um, usually... Jane, Kitty and Lydia will be in lighter, more varied colours, whereas Lizzie and Mary will be in, in duller colours and settling for, for darker greens and browns and creams and natural sort of colours. I don't know um, if, if this exposition by clothing is a good thing or not, um, but fashion has always been a way for people to express themselves and the costumes aren't bad, they aren't terribly inaccurate, so why not? 
I do think that the cast give it their all in this film. Um, obviously, it's hard to judge their performances because of the way the characters were written and the fact that I don't like that interpretation does mean that I sort of reflect on the characters and therefore the actors as well, but it's not exactly fair. The, the actors do a very good job with what they're given um, and in particular, I absolutely love Rosamund Pike as Jane Bennett. She was absolutely fantastic and she was exactly what I had been picturing when, whenever I read the book. I also thought that Donald Sutherland was a great Mr Bennett. He seemed to really characterise that indifference and boredom um, that, that Mr Bennett has in the book. And it leads to one of my favourite lines in, in the film uh, when Lizzie has just refused Mr Collins' proposal and uh, Mr Bennett... Mrs. Bennett has asked Mr. Bennett to go and scold her, <laughs> um, but it doesn't quite work out like that because he says, um, You'll have to be a stranger to one of your parents. Um, your mother will never talk to you again if you don't marry Mr. Collins, and I will never talk to you again if you do. Um, I'm probably paraphrasing, but I absolutely love that bit, and he just delivers it in such a great way. It's, you know, it's just absolutely brilliant. Overall, it isn't a bad film to be honest. I wouldn't say that it was the best adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that I've seen, but it isn't the worst either by a long margin. Um, personally, I'd give it about five or so out of eight, so on our Addicted Austinite scoring board, uh, that is Cassandra, uh, though perhaps it might be more of Henry and a half, so about four, four and a half out of eight. Um, I do enjoy this film, I, I do. Um, it's always one that I'm going to watch on repeat for the rest of my life. Um, it's, it's a very good comfort film and I do watch it quite a lot. And as I said, I listen to the soundtrack a lot as well. Um, there are just a few things that don't make it a great film uh, in my mind. Uh, but I would love to know what you think about the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Addicted Austinite. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you have, please do like it, share it, subscribe it, all those things that you're supposed to do with podcasts. I'm sorry if this uh, episode sounds a bit strange today. Um, my laptop was just getting a bit too excited and wouldn't be quiet. Um, so I'm sorry about that, uh, but what can you do? Um, you can leave me comments about episodes and about the podcast in general. Um, you can f tweet me at cat. Kath Price author uh, and you can find me on Facebook um, just look out for The Addicted Austinite so that's it for another week and all that's left to say is as ever, happy reading your faithful servant, the author <laughs>